scripture is Acts 10, 1 to 23. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring, a, to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the man, I'm the one who you're looking for. Why have you come? The man replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. Great, thanks Dan. <clears throat> you can be seated. Well, before uh, I get too far into things, I just want to make just a couple observations about the text. Um, first off, are there any hunters in the room? Any hunters? Oh, there we go. Good. I know there's some who wouldn't, couldn't be here to, tonight, and uh, and I was, you know, when I read this, I think of them with the the line, "Get up, kill, and eat." I think that is pretty much the mantra for hunters. I know from talking with Nate Lim, that is how he thinks of it. Um, so that's, you know, just an exciting observation of this passage. <laughs> uh, the, other, the, other, the other thing I would note is uh, the more I read in the Bible about Peter, uh, the more I just feel like I could also be part of what God is doing. Because, and I've said this before, he's just the most ordinary guy and sometimes he says the wrong thing, and sometimes he does the wrong thing, and sometimes he seems like he's a little slow on the uptake, and that just gives me so much comfort, because I'm like, yes, I'm right there with you. Um, and 
you know, and you know, I read, uh, sometimes I read various, you know, books on leadership, uh, things by people with names like John Maxwell or Timothy Keller or, or Kerry Newhoff. And, um, we, you know, when they, when they write about leadership and, um, and about like following God and things, like everything's just so strategic and it's really well thought out and systematic and it seems, uh, you know, really hard. Uh, but then you read this story and you notice that all Peter had to do was be hungry at lunchtime. I don't know that I can remember the 21 irrefutable laws of leadership, but I can be hungry at lunchtime. And our service started at 5.30. Probably some of you haven't had supper yet. I'll bet you're hungry right now. And that's good news because like Peter, you're ready to hear God and be part of something awesome that God's going to do. Just like Peter. So that's good news. <clears throat> Anyways, um, yeah, let me, uh, let me open in prayer and uh, we can get into things. Uh, Father, I thank you. Uh, for your word. I thank you uh, for Luke, um, who you led to write these words down and to write uh, this account down of how you are moving. And I pray that you would open um, your word up to us tonight, Lord, that we would receive from you what you have for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As, uh, as we've gone through the book of Acts, uh, we've mentioned um, that it, it follows the promise and the call of, that Jesus gives his disciples um, in chapter 1, verse 8, um, that they will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Um, and here, by Acts 10, we've already seen most of these things have happened um, basically everything except for the last part of that statement has already happened, and, and it's, but it's beginning to happen. Um, we've seen salvation uh, come first to and through the people of God, the, the Jews, uh, through Jesus Christ. Um, and, and then we, we start to see it being carried to the Gentiles. Uh, this is people with no historical, ethnic, uh, religious, or family connection uh, to the people of God. Um, already, um, a eunuch from Ethiopia has come to faith and was baptized by, uh, by Philip, and Pastor Matt uh, spoke about this a few weeks ago. It's a good possibility that this eunuch uh, from Ethiopia was a Gentile. Uh, so this is, this is part of the beginning. Uh, we see um, that we're, we're not given a Hebrew name uh, from, for the woman that, uh, from last week in chapter 9, Tabitha. And so some suggest that perhaps she was a Gentile believer. Um, and so while not having traveled yet to the ends of the earth, the gospel is beginning to, to reach people who are from the ends of the earth. Um, and so, uh, so this, 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 what Jesus has called them to, it's beginning to be fulfilled. Um, the tension that is not evident to us here in the 21st century, unless you've been told this before, um, is that uh, good Jews in the first century did not hang out with Gentiles. This was something they didn't do. Uh, intermingling with Gentiles, with people who weren't Jews, 
was what led God's people astray six to seven hundred years ago, uh, when, or, sorry, six to seven hundred years earlier, um, when uh, that got them all exiled from the land of Israel, and they got exiled to Assyria and Babylon and to other uh, places. You can read about that in the Old Testament. Um, but here, in the, in the first century, the land is again, it's, it's ruled by the occupying Romans. And so good Jews knew that purity and separation from non-Jews was important if they were ever going to have their land and nation restored to them again. So there's this, this deep-seated, uh, faith-based uh, prejudice and separation that good Jews believed that they had to live out towards Gentiles. Good Jews believed deeply in segregation and in separation from Gentiles. And, and food was a really big part of this. Uh, there, uh, there are purity laws. If you go back and read in the book of Leviticus, uh, that there's certain foods that you couldn't eat if you were a Jew, because these were considered unclean. Gentiles did not observe these purity laws. Um, and so they, they ate whatever they liked, uh, including all kinds of things that were on the list of banned items that you weren't allowed to eat if you were Jewish. And so, uh, and so, so then Jews weren't allowed, they, they wouldn't eat with Gentiles, they couldn't eat their food, uh, it just wasn't possible because, because Gentiles were unclean by the nature of the food that they would regularly eat. So there's this deep-seated uh, segregation that is happening from Jews towards Gentiles. And Peter, he's a Jewish follower of Jesus Christ. He, he's part of the Jewish people, grew up uh, as, as a as a Jew, uh, learning, you know, everything about the, of the Torah uh, and what we call the Old Testament. Um, and, and he's, at this time, he's already kind of pushing on the border of what is and isn't possible. Um, he, he's trying to sort out who's in and who's uh, out when it comes to following Jesus. And he's doing his best to try to follow as the Spirit is leading him. And I, I say that he's on the borderline because he's, he's already hung out with uh, people in Samaria and seen Samaritans come to faith. And, and so this is, this is already, he's pushing the boundaries by going there because mo most of the time, uh, good Jews wouldn't go to Samaria. In fact, if you were traveling north, you would go wide around it. Um, it wasn't something that they would normally do, but, but he'd already gone there, and we, and we read about this earlier, uh, seeing you know, Samaritans coming to faith, and, and Peter's there, and, and, he's, and he's doing miracles. So he's already pushing the boundary there in terms of hanging around with people who would be seen as unclean. Um, it's, it's possible also that he's heard the account of the Ethiopian eunuch uh, who was baptized. And so perhaps this is stirring in his mind as he's, you know, wondering about uh, what God is doing and what's happening. Um, if, uh, if Tabitha indeed was a Gentile, um, then he's already been part of raising a Gentile from the dead. Um, and even if she wasn't, dead bodies are unclean. So... 
uh, he would have had to been really careful not to touch her while he was there. And actually, if you read it, he was careful not to touch her. But he's pushing on that boundary, right? He's pushing on that boundary um, of, you know, being around people and things that are unclean. And now he's staying at the house of Simon the Tanner. And people who are tanning things, well, they're tanning hides of animals. And dead animals are unclean. And so, so he's... He's staying with someone who would regularly be unclean because of the work that he's doing. And so, so Peter, he's, he's pushing already a bit on the boundary of, you know, being able to stay or, or be around people or things that are unclean. Um, but he's not fully there yet. Um, and, and so the, the implied question that's kind of going on then at, with this chapter and leading up to this, um, and that Peter's vision is all leading up to is, is who can be part of the people of God as a follower of Jesus? Who's in and who's out? And I, and I think the, the question pushes even further to ask, what counts as sin that needs to be repented of um, and let go of? And what is it that uh, that's considered unclean, but is not sin that can be overlooked or even redeemed. And these are, these are no small questions. These are the questions that the church has asked over and over again um, through the years and the centuries uh, in different cultures as the church tries to contend with the, with the aspects of any given different culture of what can be redeemed and reflected among followers of Christ and what aspects must be repented of and rejected by the followers of Jesus. Uh, when I was in seminary, I learned that there is even a scale that missionaries have to talk about these kinds of things. Um, and it's the, it's the C1 to 5 contextualization scale. Um, and, and this is where, where C1 uh, on the scale, uh, forms of Christianity look very different from the surrounding culture in which they're in. And uh, in C5, Christian faith looks very much like the surrounding culture uh, that it's in. And then, you know, uh, two, three, four, just kind of on the spectrum uh, in between. But they've, they've come up with a scale to be able to talk about these types of contextualization of faith. But, but aside from world missions, uh, we do this in seeking to follow Jesus all the time. We're, we're always asking questions of contextualization and uh, what of culture can be redeemed and what parts of it must be repented of. Like, we'll ask, can, can followers of Jesus watch movies or television? And if yes, are there certain movies or shows that are off limits to us? Um, we'll ask, uh, can a Christian listen to secular music? And if yes, are there certain categories or artists that are off limits? And just for reference, rock and roll, yes. Pop music, no. Um, <clears throat> Are there, uh, are there kinds of work that are, that are off limits for Christians? Um, can Christians drink alcohol? And if yes, uh, are there limits? And, and, and what are those? Uh, can Christians dance? And if yes, does that include the Macarena? Um, 
What should, what should dating look like? Uh, dating and marriage for, for Christians, what should that look like? Are there, are there relationships that are off limits to us or, or, or expressions of relationships that are on off limits? And, and what about uh, sexual relationships? What, what is, what's that supposed to or allowed to look like for believers? And we'll ask questions about divorce and, and questions about div- uh, abortion and, and what this all looks like for, for us to live out in the culture that we're a part of. Are there things that are acceptable uh, in our culture that are off limits for followers of Jesus because they constitute sin? And are there things that are acceptable in culture that are redeemed and acceptable for followers of Jesus to participate in um, and, and that can be used for inviting others um, into, into fellowship with Christ and his people? So, so we're, just, we're always working, I think, through these types of questions, uh, sometimes for selfish reasons, because because actually we want to we wanna be part of something or some, sometimes maybe we just want to get away with something, right? Um, and so there's, there, there can be selfish reasons that we ask these questions. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and there can be, uh, I, I think, also like just a very faith-filled uh, approach to, to these questions where, where we're asking them um, because uh, we want to be faithful to Jesus and because we want to be close to him, and because we want to be able to welcome and invite others into relationship with Jesus and into fellowship with us, and we don't want to set up unnecessary barriers. Um, In Peter's case, he is wrestling with this type of question uh, for what does and doesn't make someone unclean as it comes down to food purity laws. And thankfully for him, he was hungry at noon, And so God had already put into motion a plan to address this with him. And can I just note that the process of all this um, that that God kind of goes through to to make this clear to Peter, I think, just shows also how patient God is with Peter and how much he loves Peter that he would go to the, this length of like system and, um, and things happening at just the right time to just make this known to him. I, just, I think it's so cool because God sets this plan in motion the, the day before. So like a day before Peter has his vision, God sends an angel in a vision to Cornelius uh, like 50 kilometers north. Um, he's, a, he's a Roman centurion. Um, and Cornelius, he happens to be a God-fearer, which just means that, that he's, he's a Gentile, but he's also someone who knows about God and follows him in some ways without having fully converted to Judaism. Um, and so a day in advance, God, God starts this, this process to, to, to share something with Peter. Um, and he sends a, an, uh, has an angelic vision to Cornelius with instructions to send these guys down to Joppa to fetch Peter and bring him back. And so Cornelius, you know, has this vision and he says yes. And so he sends the guys on their journey. And so then now it's the next day around noon. It's lunchtime and surprise, surprise, Peter's hungry, but lunch isn't ready yet. And so he goes up to the roof by himself to pray. Um, and then while he's there, he has this vision of clean, sorry, of, of unclean animals and birds and a voice tells him 
um, to get up, to kill, and to eat. And Peter, Peter protests because he's been a good follower um, of God and, 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 and a good Jew, and he's, and he's never eaten anything that's unclean. And the voice tells him not to call anything impure that God has made clean. And then just to make sure Peter gets, that the point gets across to Peter, this interaction happens three times uh, before the, the sheet is pulled up and the animals are removed. And anytime something happens in triplets um, in the Bible, uh, that just means like pay attention, this is important. It's a, it's a way that scripture uses to emphasize uh, things. And, and Peter actually, when, when you read through the Gospels, you actually get to see that there's a whole bunch of triplets for Peter, um, like forgiving people seven times, 77 times. So, right, uh, just lots of things like that. Um, uh, so, so Peter, he's, uh, he's, he's, then, uh, he's then thinking about the vision, and, and he's wondering about it, and the timing then is that the, that the men from Cornelius arrive right after the vision while he's kind of, he's sitting there, he's wondering about what's going on, um, and the timing is just perfect for their arrival. And the Spirit then tells Peter to go down and to, and to go with these guys. And so he, so he runs downstairs and meets them and hears that he's going to be traveling uh, to meet with some Gentiles. God's timing to reveal all this to Peter is, is I just think it's incredible, the, the, just the, the tic-tac-toe timing of everything coming together. Um, and... And it's, it's just brilliant. Um, but, it's, but it's also, I think, notable that after Peter uh, sees this vision, that he's wondering about it. He has this, he has this powerful vision, and he's wondering about it. Um, we, we read through the story, I think, so fast. And because uh, most of us are Gentiles, um, we, you know, it's a, it, we kind of take it for granted that we're accepted um, into the kingdom of God and, and can follow Jesus. Um, so we're like, what's to ponder, Peter? Um, but, but he sees this vision, and his response in, uh, in verse 17 is, is, that, is to wonder about it. And is in verse 19, he's still thinking about it. And I, I think that this highlights... Uh, two important things for us. I think it shows us what a significant change in mindset this must be for Peter to consider. This, this, is, this is a big shift for him to embrace. Um, and number two, I wonder if this isn't part of a larger discernment process that Peter is working through. Um, like I've said, this, this, is a, this is a big deal if the spirit is removing uh, the food purity barrier um, as, a, as a barrier for people coming to faith in Christ. It's a new thing. Uh, and, it, and it would have been a necessary requirement for, uh, for, for people who would convert to Judaism at that time to observe the food purity laws for them to be part of the people of God. So, so I think Peter, he's weighing this vision then against everything that he knows of the word of God and all that he knows of his experience of Jesus. Because visions can be powerful. But what if he's being tempted like Jesus was in the desert? 
where another spirit, the devil, tempted Jesus with food when he was hungry. Peter saw a vision and heard a voice um, that spoke of God, but Acts is careful at this point not to say that the vision is from the Lord. When the men arrive, that's where we're told that the Spirit speaks to Peter and tells him something. But this initial vision and the telling of the vision, it's not clearly identified that this vision is from the Lord, only that it speaks of him. And so what Peter saw and heard needs to be weighed against the truth of God that he already knows. He knows that, uh, that Jesus drew on Scripture when he was tempted in the desert, uh, that he used scripture to discern truth. And so Peter, I think, needs to draw on scripture um, to discern truth as well. I think that he needs to remember and think about the promise of God to Abraham to bless the whole world, that this is something that God's going to do. I think that he needed to remember the promises and prophecies from Scripture declaring God's aim to have the whole world come to salvation in him. Prophecies like we see in Isaiah 49, verse 6, where it says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. I think that Peter needed time to digest what he'd seen and to process this in light of what he knew of God's word. And I think Peter also needed to remember his time with Jesus. That that Jesus touches those who are unclean and is touched by those who are unclean. But rather than becoming unclean himself, Jesus healed them and made them clean. That that he needed to remember that Jesus fellowshiped with those who are unclean. That he ate with the unclean tax collectors in their home. And rather than being made unclean, they repented of their sin and they were made clean in relationship with Jesus. And perhaps Peter also remembered what Jesus had said and is recorded in Mark 7, verse 19. That, um, that, it's, that it's not what goes into a person that makes them unclean, um, but that it's what comes out of them. And that by saying this, Jesus was declaring all foods to be clean. I think Peter is, is wondering and thinking about the vision because he's discerning his experience against Scripture and his prior experience of Jesus And then he's able to see that, yes, yes, this is consistent with who God is and what he's doing. This is consistent with Jesus and his life and ministry and his his death and sacrifice on the cross for us. That this is consistent with what he has done and with, with what the Spirit is now doing. And so then Peter is able to move forward in faith. So when the Spirit speaks to him to go down and greet these men, that he's able now to welcome the Gentiles into the home. He's able to invite them into the people of God through Christ. And 
And it might be tempting to think that, that Peter is, is just slow on the uptake. Like, you know, you have this powerful vision. Why, why couldn't it have been more, more clear um, to you? But, but I, think, I think that he, that he wonders about it and thinks about it, I think actually shows that he's wise. He doesn't, he doesn't seem to know for sure. His first response, he, 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 he's not sure um, whether or not this vision's from the Lord. And so he's got to think about it. And, um, and that not every vision is, is, is from the Lord. First John 4, 1 says to test the spirits. I think Peter's doing that. I think he's being wise. And so then I think there's a couple things for us then to take away from these verses. Uh, first, um, as we seek to discern, um, I think that we're called to discern with the word of God and to test the spirits. When we discern what's, what's going on in, in culture or, 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 or visions or things that we have, that we discern with the word of God and we, and we test the spirits. Um, I, uh, I sometimes get to have fun conversations with people who've had powerful visions of uh, one thing or another, or, or near-death experiences, um, or, you know, visions or things through substances that sometimes they've taken. Um, and so one, one conversation I had um, was with a man who had a near-death vision, where uh, he was very close to death, um, and the Spirit had told him in this, or sorry, a Spirit had told him uh, that Jesus and Buddha were basically the same. And so for him, this, this was a powerful experience. It was a powerful vision at, at, a, at a powerful moment um, in his life that, that, is, that has had a clear impact on his spiritual journey. And, and as he's telling me this, I, I, you know, I, I felt sympathetic to him for the powerful experience that he had while almost dying. But Galatians 1.8 tells us that if even an angel from heaven tells us a different gospel, that they are under God's curse. And, God, and God's word also tell us, tells us that God alone is God and that we shall have no other gods before him. And Jesus says, I am the way and the truth, of li- the way and the truth and the life. Um, no one comes to the Father except through me. Um, and, 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 and so... It doesn't take long, like other faiths just aren't the same. Um, and it doesn't take long if you, if you read, you know, some of what Buddha has, has written or uh, if you read about him, it doesn't take long actually to see that Buddha and Jesus are actually very different uh, from each other. And so as much as I, I sympathize with this moment that he had, I can't, I can't agree that this vision he had was from God. So we test um, the visions against the word of God. And where they are in harmony, that's great. Then we're, we're free to move forward. But where they contradict, then we must, we must set them aside, uh, no matter how powerful our feelings are about the experience that we've had. And we test cultural norms and practices against the word of God. Um, yes, God here, um, in, in this moment with Peter, is removing a barrier of a food purity law for people to be included into fellowship with Christ and his people. And we'll, we'll see in, in the coming weeks that, um, that many other barriers are not removed, especially the barrier of sin, 
which is not removed apart from repentance and forgiveness and setting aside sin and self to follow Jesus. Um, there's, there's, this, there's this tension where, where Christ has, has removed the barrier of sin um, through his death on the cross, um, and yet we also, uh, like it's, it, we, we must repent of it, and we give it to him and receive forgiveness and leave it behind for the barrier to be removed. And so, so where our culture makes choices to follow its own way rather than the way of Christ, we are unable to go along with them. And if that means that we're then pushed uh, to the margins or looked down upon, uh, we must graciously and lovingly witness to the good news of Jesus from that place, knowing that Jesus' way is the best for us, even if it's unpopular. And, and this is hard. I get that. I don't like being on the outside. Uh, I don't enjoy being called uh, judgmental uh, because Christ calls me to hold values that are contrary to the culture that I'm a part of. If it were up to me, I'm a pretty weak person. I'd probably just go along with it. Um, But Jesus calls me, he calls us to follow him. And where culture diverges from the way of Jesus, we follow Jesus. It was hard for him. Why should we expect it to be any easier for us if we're following him? So we discern with the word of God and we test the spirits and culture. And number two, I think that we make space in our lives for those who might be considered unclean and for people who are different from us. When Peter, when Peter realized what God was doing, uh, he went downstairs and welcomed these, these Gentiles, these people who were very different from him, um, into the home. He was ready to go with them. God was removing a barrier of table fellowship so that Peter could be host and friend to people that he'd previously avoided. Um, as, as many of you know, uh, and can probably see from looking at me, I'm a, I'm a pretty dorky, middle-aged white guy. Um, I like things like the Bible and Christian history and regular history and Star Wars and technology and dad jokes, stuff like that. Um, and then a few years ago, uh, God brought... Uh, a bunch of a bunch of men who were uh, very different from me, um, a bunch of um, Asian men with rough backgrounds uh, into my life, and I got to welcome them uh, into my home, uh, into my life, and it has been one of the greatest privileges of my life uh, to to call them friends, to journey with them, to see um, many of them uh, follow Christ and and, and come to Christ. Um, and to just set aside things in their lives in following him. And, uh, and, you know, things that I can only describe as miracles that God has done in their lives. And it never would have happened if I hadn't been open to God doing a new thing in my life. It, it wouldn't have happened if I wasn't willing to open my life to people who were different from me. And I just, I just believe wholeheartedly that this is what Jesus calls us to. To open our lives, to open our homes, 
to people who are different from us. We can open them to people who are like us as well, but, but, to, open, but to open them to, all, like, to just to everybody, you know, whether, whether class or culture, ethnicity, uh, age, relationship, family status. Um, if, if Peter didn't say yes to God uh, and to go welcome these Gentile men, uh, who knows what he would have missed out on and what the Spirit was doing. If, if we live closed lives and closed homes, who knows what we will miss out on and what the Spirit is doing and what the Spirit is inviting us into. And this is the call. And this is the invitation. How is God inviting you to open your life to people that he's bringing into your life, to people who are different from you, to open your life to everyone? And will you, like Peter, run downstairs and welcome them into your life the way that he did? Would you pray with me? Father, I, I thank you for this, uh, this example of, of Peter and, and just for, uh, yeah, just the way that, that you have loved uh, people, um, the way that you loved Peter and just, just drew, us, drew uh, them together and, and revealed your truth uh, to him. I thank you for the way um, that you have uh, that you discerned uh, and 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 had him discern and and showing him what you, you're doing and, and Lord I pray that you would give us um, wisdom to know how to follow you um, how how to be faithful to you in the challenges that we're facing and Lord that you would also um, help us like Peter to to live with open lives. Um, that we would be, um, that, that we would not um, erect unnecessary barriers to people coming to you. And Lord, that we would not be the barrier to people coming to you. Lord, that, that we can be faithful to how you call us to live um, and that we would be able to invite people into our lives so that they could come to know you and be part of your people. Lord, lead us in this, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.